everybody. I feel quite special that I've got flags. No one else gets flags. Um, so my name is Mary. I'm one of the leaders here at St. Augustine's. It's great to be speaking to you this Pentecost Sunday, continuing on our series in prayer. Everyone, um, hello everyone, also to everyone listening or watching online. Um, Kit, our four-year-old son, is often asking questions about God's power and size. Last week he asked, Mom, can God see everything in the whole world? Often it's, Mom, is God bigger than the biggest whatever is on his mind? Or the other day, Mom, did God know about me before I was born? He was shocked that yes, that was the answer. And my favorite, when he's trying to trump me in love, it used to be, Mom, I love you bigger than the city. But now it's, I love you bigger than God, but I do love God more than you. He's fascinated by the magnitude and size of God. And as I was preparing for this talk today on Pentecost, I wasn't sure where to go with it, but I felt like God was wanting me to say to you all, take them back to their childlike faith. Get them to remember me how they did when they were a child. So that's what I'm going to try and do today. And to help with this, I'm going to start with a children's story. Now, the only downside to this story, as you can see on the slides, is that Teddy Horsley genders the Holy Spirit. Um, personally, don't believe that the Holy Spirit has to be male, so I'm substituting he for it. Um, so, Teddy Horsley in the windy day. It's a windy day, and Teddy Horsley is a puzzled bear. He opens his eyes to look for the wind and cannot see it, but he sees the wind shake apples down, turn washing inside out, and blow paper along the street. He stretches out his paws to touch the wind and cannot feel it. But he feels the wind push him along, tuck his kite into the sky and drive rain into his face. He pricks up his ears to listen to the wind and cannot hear it. But he hear the, hears the wind rattle dustbin lids, slams doors shut and whistles through the trees. Teddy Horsley knows that the wind is there all around him. The church is celebrating Pentecost, and Teddy Horsley is a puzzled bear. He opens his eyes to look for the Holy Spirit and cannot see it. But he sees the Holy Spirit making people smile and dance. He stretches out his paws to touch the Holy Spirit and cannot feel it. But he feels the Holy Spirit making him feel safe and loved. He pricks up his ears to listen to the Holy Spirit and cannot hear it. But he hears the Holy Spirit making people sing and laugh. Teddy Horsley knows that the Holy Spirit is there all around him. The end. I love reading Teddy Horsley books. I remember paying one pound for this at the Crusaders Christian Bookshop in St. Albans with my pocket money. But the reason I love this book so much is I did used to buy lots of Christian memorabilia for my pocket money, actually. Um, but the reason I love this book so much is it's such a fantastic way of explaining the Holy Spirit, not only to children, but also as a reminder to us too of taking it back to the basics and the simple knowledge that God is not always, it may not always seem like he's here, but he always is through his Holy Spirit. And when we're children, if we've been brought up in a Christian upbringing, as kids, we don't generally have any problem believing in God in believing that God's spirit is with us. The simplicity and joy that comes along with a childlike faith is enviable, and we delight in it. But at times, I know when I've spoken to adults whose faith seems so real and so genuine, I've probably said, oh, they've got a childlike faith. Perhaps in an unfairly disparaging way, I'm sure to make up for my own insecurities and struggles in my own faith. 
But in this passage, God is encouraging us to set aside the way of us doing life on our own. Verse 12 to 14. Don't you see that we don't owe this old do-it-to-yourself life one red cent? There's nothing in it for us, nothing at all. The best thing to do is give it a decent burial and get on with our new life. God's spirit beckons. There are things to do and places to see. And God affirms us in our childlike faith and encourages us to do life with God and not without him. God's spirit beckons. One of the meanings of the word beckons is appear attractive or inviting. There's a sense of excitement in this verse. God wants to journey alongside us as a friend doing it together. It's a friendship and we do that through being in relationship with him, through talking with him. And all praying is, is talking. It's simple. It's a conversation. You talk to God like a friend. You vent, you ask, you laugh, you listen, you unload, you just talk. There's no way of doing it wrong. Verse 615, the resurrection life you receive from God is not a timid, grave-tending life. It's adventurously expectant, greeting God with a childlike, what's next, Papa? God's spirit touches our spirits and confirms who we really are. Do you know who you are today? Do you know how God sees you? Do you believe in the words so continually said in his book that he loves you, that he loves you, that he loves you, that you are his precious child, that no matter what you have done or what you continue to do, that God will always love you. That as it says later in Romans 8, verses 38, 39, that I'm sure that neither death, nor angels, nor life, nor ruling spirits, nothing now, nothing in the future, nor powers, nothing above us, nothing below us, nothing, nor nothing else in anything else in the whole world will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. We know those words, they're familiar, it's a familiar Bible passage. But if we really think about that, really dwell on it, It's a lot to take in. I can tell this to Kit, who's four, and his response would be, oh, wow. But for us as adults, when we think about the worst thing we've ever done, when we think about the ways that we've hurt others or even hurt ourselves, it can be really hard to believe in our hearts that that's the case, that God really does love us unconditionally, That those things that we do, that those mistakes that we make do not define who we are or who God has created us to be. Or maybe we've been brought up in an environment at home where love given has felt conditional. Or maybe in a church setting, we've been told that God's love is conditional. That can be a really hard thing to shake when those seeds have been sown from such a young age. The enemy loves to use those lies to try and create a distance between us and God. And yet God says to us, no, I love you. You do not have to earn my love. It is unconditional. It is given freely. Journey with me. Come on this adventure that I've got in store for us. Let's do it together. Pete Gregg, the founder founder of 24-7 Prayer, writes, your power in prayer will flow from the certainty that the one who made you likes you. He is not scowling at you. He is on your side. Unless our mission and our acts of mercy, our intercession, petition, confession, and spiritual warfare begin and end in the knowledge of the Father's love, we will act and pray out of desperation and duty, instead out of revelation, expectation, and joy. 
Have you discovered the deep love that God has for you? I can tell you that standing on the edge of the Grand Canyon when I was 12 years old was one of the most breathtaking and also terrifying things I've ever experienced. But me telling you about it doesn't make you realize it or know it, neither does showing you photos. I remember getting my photos developed and feeling so gutted that they had no way of portraying just a fraction of what it felt like being there. The only way you can truly discover that feeling is by being there yourself. Maybe today is an opportunity of saying to God, do you know what? I don't know if I do know how much you love me, but I want to experience that today. And that is why God sent the Holy Spirit down at Pentecost so that after Jesus left the earth, we could experience God and his love for us in a real tangible way. And we know that's true because in Romans 5, 5, it says, and hope does not disappoint us because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. But as we look further into this passage today, in Romans 8, 17, the hard times are acknowledged. We go through exactly what Christ goes through. If we go through the hard times with him, then we are certainly to go through the good times with him. Two weeks ago, we were very fortunate to have Carly Roberton very bravely and graciously share with us the journey of her and Tom's um, have been on with their youngest son, Theo, having to have a heart transplant. And if you missed it, do have a listen on the podcast. And the whole story is quite incredible of how God was so clearly looking out for them through this time. But the thing that surprised me most in Carly's story was that during the most terrifying time of her life, she felt real joy. Though there was fear, confusion, sadness, there was also real joy and at times peace. And it's funny how so often sadness and joy can go hand in hand. But Carly wasn't necessarily finding that joy through her own strength, as she said herself, it was a difficult time to feel close to God. Yet that joy was a gift from God, it was the fruit of the Spirit. From all of those prayers that were being prayed, that you were all praying via all of those intercessing on the Robertons' behalf. John 16, 20 says, you will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. And I know for a lot of you at the moment, you're going through times of real pain. There is grief. There is infertility. There are breakdowns in relationships, parenting hardships, financial issues, businesses struggling. And I know that can feel like a lonely place to be. And it's hard to see how there can be any joy where you're at. We journey through these wilderness times and we're asking, where are you, God? Other people seem to have these amazing stories to share of you working in their lives, but I have nothing. And I just want to acknowledge that pain and those feelings of hopelessness. But I also want to assure you today that God is with you that God has not and will not ever leave you, that God is holding you, he is loving you, he is with you. God is with us in our suffering and poverty of spirit. As our very own Phil's message on the Beatitudes he spoke of a few weeks ago. So at times the breakthrough is not always about the kind of victory that we hope for. It's actually about recognizing God's presence with us in the midst of that pain. But recognizing, trusting, or even seeking God out in those times can be hard. Going back to what Jim spoke about a few weeks ago, are we trusting God with it all? 
Are we unashamedly and unreservedly giving all these things to God? Do we believe that he can intervene, that he will break through? And of course, that is so hard to do. I was away um, on a retreat the last weekend when I was started writing this talk. And throughout the weekend, though, I felt God challenge me in my own faith. What about you, Mary? Is your faith childlike? Do you really trust me with X, Y, and Z? You're telling everyone else they can trust me, but do you believe in that yourself? And I really felt God pull me up in areas of my life that I haven't handed over to him. Areas that I do get anxious about. Problems that I try to resolve myself without giving it all to God. I'm saying all this to you, but believe me, these are things that I also grapple with. How much do I really trust you, God? And we know that God doesn't always answer things in the way that we hope or want him to do. But by drawing close to him, our lives are changed and we see things through his eyes. And things may not get easier when we say yes to God. We all know that living a Christian life isn't the easy one. But I know that for at least for me, I can't fathom living my life without God because I've journeyed without him before and that option is so much worse. One of the things that really breaks my heart at the moment is having conversations with some of you or with my friends who have had a really strong faith and then life has taken over. And there has been sadness and things have happened that have caused so much grief and pain. And I can see that they are angry and hurt at God. And it is unsurprising that these things have really challenged them in their faith. Because of course, there are so many things that do stop us coming to God in prayer. Recently, I've been reading a brilliant book um, that Andy gave me on prayer called Praying Like Monks, Living Like Fools by Tyler Station. And he talks about the reasons why we all struggle to pray. But the point he made that really resonated through conversations I have with people is this. Prayer can't be mastered. Prayer always means submission. To pray is to willingly put ourselves in the unguarded, exposed position. There is no climb. There is no control. There is no mastery. There is only humility and hope. To pray is to risk being naive, to risk believing, to risk playing the fool. To pray is to risk trusting someone who might let you down. To pray is to get our hopes up. And we've learned to avoid that, so we avoid prayer. How many of us resonate with that? I know I can. But later he says, Jesus hasn't revealed a God we can perfectly understand, but he has revealed a God we can perfectly trust. Trust is a certainty that the listening God hears and cares. I trust the God who, even when he doesn't make the suffering go away, wears the suffering alongside me. Trusting the God revealed in Jesus means silence is real, but not forever. And God is not expecting us to come to him in perfect relationship. The Psalms are full of God, listening to David in an overreacting rage, dramatic despair, gullless joy. And it even says in Samuel 1, 13, 1 Samuel 13, 14, the Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. David's heart is like God's. C.S. Lewis said of prayer, we must lay before him what is in us, not what ought to be in us. And I would encourage you, you, as I always do, to keep coming to God in prayer, even when you don't want to, even when you don't believe things can change, even if it seems to you to be too small or insignificant or you think it doesn't justify prayer, even if it seems too big 
And it's been the same situation for years and years that you've been praying for. Even if you feel like a broken record, even if you ask for prayer every week, if you feel like you're one of those people, then that is a reason to keep asking. Because coming to God in prayer is saying yes to God. And saying yes to God means being in relationship with Him. And every time, the Holy Spirit is waiting to meet with us. We don't have to have eloquent prayers full of details. God knows what we want to say before we've even said it. We can pray simply like children. When we had the prayer bracelets a few weeks ago from church, in our family, we each listed five things that we could pray for. And one of Kit's was, Pray mummy doesn't get hurt when she cooks dinner. So simple, yet so specific. If we think that God will listen to our children's prayers in all their simplicity and directness, if we encourage kids to pray about anything and everything, why do we struggle to do the same ourselves? If you're struggling with something in life and God says in the Bible, come to me all who are weary and heavy burdens and I will give you rest, then why do we not get others to continually pray and pray and pray until we have breakthrough? No one here is looking at you. No one here is judging you. I would find it a privilege to keep praying and praying until we saw something shift. And at times when we can't pray for ourselves, we need others to pray for us. We are called to be intercessors on behalf of each other. And if we don't know how to pray, we know that God has sent his spirit to pray with us and on our behalf. But I also want to note that breakthrough doesn't necessarily mean getting the literal answer we are praying for, although it's great when that does happen. Breakthrough is sometimes about our own surrender of the issue, because God is intent on leading us into deeper relationship with himself, and that requires letting go. In verses 26, 27, meanwhile, the moment we get tired in the waiting, God's spirit is right alongside, helping us along. If we don't know how or what to pray, it doesn't matter. He does, he does our praying in and for us, making prayer out of our wordless, wordless sighs, our aching groans. He knows us far better than we know ourselves, knows our pregnant condition and keeps us present before God. Today is Pentecost and Pentecost is the day that God sent his Holy Spirit to dwell us, with us, to be among us, to be our messenger to God. And it says here that the Spirit does our praying for us. The Spirit is our intercessor, our advocate, our biggest cheerleader. The Spirit can portray to God our deepest pain, our greatest joy. He knows us far better than we know ourselves. Meaning that we really don't need to be overanalyzing how or what we pray. But if we come open and willing to meet with God, to seek out our creator, our restorer, our redeemer, our friend, then the Spirit will relay all our needs to God without barely having to do anything but be willing to be in relationship with him. We can come simply as the child who God created us to be. And then we get to verse 28. That's why we can be so sure that every detail in our lives of love for God is worked into something good. This verse could have a sermon in and of itself, but I'll aim to keep it brief. But if we do not read this verse carefully, we might then interpret it to say, if I love God, then everything will work out for my good. And so we have to think about what the definition of good means. Often my definition of good concerns my wants and desires. If I love God, then everything I want and desire that I consider good will come to me. But God is, sadly at times, uh, not in the business of giving us our every heart's desire. He's in the business of transforming our hearts to desire Him above all other things. 
And this is what we have to think about when we read this verse. The second problem that occurs is the fact that not all things are good. And bad things are inescapable in this life. Everyone at some point must deal with suffering, with sorrow, with evil, with death. We cannot sugarcoat these things and call them good. It would be unhelpful and arrogant to say to a widow who has just lost her husband of 60 years to cancer, this is a good thing, you should be happy, your husband is now free from pain and suffering. It would be the same to say to parents whose child has just suffered traumatic injury, this is a good thing, it's God's will. There must be a reason for it in God's eyes, so rejoice in it. It would also be terrible to proclaim to a woman whose husband has cheated on her or vice versa, this is God good, God will bring something good out of it. No, these things are not good. Sin is never good. But we will all be confronted with these things. We cannot sugarcoat them. We cannot simply excuse them. We must wrestle with them honestly. The final problem that occurs with interpreting this text inappropriately is that the good that we receive becomes contingent on how much we love God. This is how a lot of the televangelists get away with saying the things they say. Your life hasn't turned around. You don't have enough of faith and love of God. Your finances haven't turned around. You aren't giving enough and you have a lack of faith and love in God. Your relationships aren't where they should be. You don't love God enough, so he isn't blessing you. You must have more faith. You must have more love. Show God your faithfulness and then the blessings will rain down upon you. Effectively, this train of thought says that everything depends on you, which can be exciting for people when things are going really well, but absolutely devastating when they're not. No, Paul means if your heart is truly seeking God, if you desire Him deeply, if you trust that Jesus died for you and for the sin of the world, then God will take every circumstance in your life Everything, that's happens, that everything that happens to you, every good thing, every bad thing, every moment of triumph and every moment of tragedy, and he will use them for your benefit, he will use them for your good. But again, that good cannot be defined by our, according to our Western standards of materialistic thought. That good cannot be defined as health, wealth and perfect relationships. That good is defined in verse 29 where he says, God knew what he was doing from the very beginning. He decided from the outset to shape the lives of those who love him along the same lines of the life of his son. Paul, the writer of this book, is showing us the end game. He is showing us what God intends, that the good God is using, the good, the good, that's the good that God is using the good and bad for. That's the good that God uses suffering and tragedy to bring about. God is shaping us into the image and likeness of Jesus Christ. That is the ultimate of good, to become like Christ. And it is not something that we are capable of doing on our own. It is something that God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are all contributing their efforts to do for us to become more like Jesus. But we have to invite the Holy Spirit into our lives for that to happen. We have to say yes to God. We have to say, yes, God, I want you in the bad and the good, in the sorrow and the joy, the pain and the suffering, the healing, the rejoicing, the disappointments and the celebrations. I trust you because you know everything about me and you have promised that you will always be with me.
And that can be hard and confronting. But I really feel today that God is asking you to trust him with it all. And God's asking me to do the same. I had a picture that I feel as we close, I think God wants me to share with you. So I just want you all to close your eyes. And I want you to go back to how you were as a child. Maybe you were around five or a memory around them. A time when you felt really young and innocent. And I felt God gave me a picture of a a long road ahead. And God is at the end of it. His arms are open to you. But between you and God are all those hard things in life that have defined you. They are the things that have made you grow up. That have caused you to lose that innocence. That have caused you to lose that childlike faith. I feel like God is saying, Will you still run to me? You can walk down this path. Or you can loiter or stay at those moments in life. In your, stay at those moments in your life that have defined you. Or you can run straight past those. And you can run to me. No matter how long it takes you to get to the end of the path, to get to me, I'm not going anywhere. My arms will always be open. I will always be here. But today, now, will you trust me and run to me with all those battle scars of life? Will you draw close to me? Will you not keep your distance? And will you run to me? As my child who I so desperately and dearly love, do you trust me? Father God, you know where every single person in this room is at. You know how close we are to you on that path. You know those things that it's hard to let go of. But also those things that we find it hard to trust you with. Father, on this Pentecost Sunday, may you overwhelm with your love, with your spirit, with your truth with your deep love for every single person here. Father, we thank you that you created every single person here, that you knew everything about them, that you know everything about them, that you have a purpose and a plan, that your love knows no bounds. Father, I pray that each person today will experience some of that love as we draw close to you. Amen.